0: Welcome to Elam Lutheran Church's remote service our opening song this morning is who you say I am He's right. Dear brothers and sisters at Elam Lutheran Church and those who have tuned in to your channel, grace to you in peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This is Herb Hoff uh, sharing again once more with you from God's Word. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Acts. Chapter 17, the first 15 verses, it's during this uh, time in history where the accusation comes against those who are following Jesus that they have turned the world upside down and they've come here too. And uh, may we be, by God's grace, the ones that are seen as turning the world upside down, uh, away from falling in death to life. In your name, Lord Jesus, may this be true of us also. Amen. Well, this really is a, a tale of two synagogues. We're going to be looking at two synagogues located in two different towns with two vastly different, in many ways, responses to the presentation that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And as we see what takes place, these two towns, Thessalonica and Berea, uh, located in Macedonia, they are about uh, 50 miles apart from one another. And I'm going to invite you to open in your Bible, Acts chapter 17. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses. won't read all of that right now. We begin at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded persuaded, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed, and they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And Now, Lord, guide us in your word. Glorify your name and strengthen your church to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just a, a quick note as we begin. Uh, begin. Timothy and Luke, uh, they are not with Paul and Silas. They've remained back at Philippi to sort of uh, strengthen and, and get ready for the, a church without the apostles being around. And Paul and Silas have pressed on their mission down in deeper on into Macedonia. And as they come, they uh, we go by some uh, flyover country, some uh, flyby or, or drive-by towns. There's Amphipolis and Apollonia. The first town, Amphipolis, it's about thirty-two miles away from Philippi, and and the next one, Apollonia, uh, it's another thirty-two miles away. So it's 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 a good journey, especially when you're doing everything by foot to get to these two towns. And Paul and Silas didn't even stop there. Uh, maybe spent the night or something, but there was no extension of the the ministry of the gospel that took place there, probably because there was no synagogues there. And the synagogue was the right place to, to begin the presentation, because already people had an understanding in the synagogue about scriptures, about God's holy word, and and the promises of a Messiah somewhere in the future that they were waiting for. And so they passed those two towns and continued on to, to Thessalonica, which was... Uh, another almost 50 miles away from those towns. So we're, we're a good distance, more than 100 miles away from Philippi, and, and the message comes into the synagogue. And uh, the presentation in the synagogue, well, it's sort of like that old uh, Clint Eastwood movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, here's the way Luke talks about it in uh, verses two and three. Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, for many of the Jews, their concept in their mind of of what the Messiah was going to be all about had nothing to do with suffering and death and pain and agony. No, at least not from the Jewish perspective. Uh, From their perspective, a Messiah was going to come. He was going to be like King David, who was going to restore the kingdom to glory, like like the times of Solomon, where riches would abound and power was there. Or at the time when uh, Judas Maccabeus, who was declared by the rabbis to be Messiah, who drove out Antiochus Epiphanes and and there was going to be restoration, there was going to be glory, it was going to be wonderful. And what Paul comes preaching was the necessity that the Messiah was going to suffer. And more than suffer, he was going to have to be raised from the dead. Now, if you're going to be raised from the dead, there's something that takes place between suffering and raised from the dead, and that's actual death. And that wasn't what the Jewish people were looking for in Messiah. And so Paul comes and he's explaining to them something that they've missed in the midst of their hoping and planning and praying for Messiah to come and and restore the kingdom to Israel. What's it going to be like? And I would guess that Paul spent a substantial amount of time in places like now, Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, where it's talking about the suffering and, and, the, and the traumas that Messiah was going to go through. And, and, and for some people, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just honed into their heart. It made sense in their mind. It made sense in their heart. Here's what it says in verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Jews, uh, the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. There was a a good number of Jewish people who said, yes, all of a sudden that makes sense to me. But there was a whole pile of Jewish folk who'd probably been around that synagogue for quite a while. They they had been doing their evangelical outreach and attracting some of the pagans that were coming in and and were, were getting close and were listening to the Old Testament scriptures and were trying to piece things together. And then all of a sudden, here comes Paul and Silas, primarily Paul speaking, because he seems to be the lightning rod. And all of a sudden... Some of the leaders, some of the Jews who've been around synagogue for a long time, and, and these others, these, these, these devout pagans who have been coming and drawing near, and, and some of these leading women are attracted to what it is that Paul is saying about Messiah, Jesus, or in the Greek, the, the, the Christos, both of them meaning the Anointed One, the One they were looking for, the One they were waiting for. And and for those who heard and believed, it was wonderful. But for those who had been a part of the synagogue for some time and were not about to change their mind about what they were looking for Messiah, they were not happy. In fact, it describes them as jealous. They, they be- began to become filled with a, a jealous anger and And they wanted to stomp out this from their perspective heresy it was it 's sort of like what Paul had done when he was still Saul of Tarsus, trying to destroy the church until he he met Jesus face to face on that that road to Damascus. I want to tell you human jealousy is not a pretty thing it It, it's, it comes out of an insecurity now, there is a jealousy that God has he 's jealous for for our good and 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 there's things that God is jealous that is is seeking to bring the best things to us it's a different thing than than this human jealousy, and those who were jealous there in 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 thessalonica uh, they didn't want it to set and and so they got a whole pile of rabble rousers uh, uh, I don't think they had biker bars back then, but it was some kind of a thing where they were going to grab the real tough guys who are out just picking a fight. And we're going to take and We're going to upset our entire city until we get rid of these people who are saying what they are saying. Jealousy. <laughs> I remember a time I was meeting with a couple of Lutheran pastors down in, in, Southern Cali- or in central California and uh, there was a new evangelical ministry that had come into town, began a church, and some of these congregations were seeing people who'd been members and involved with them for a long time, now going to this new ministry. And and they were bemoaning, and they were frustrated, and and they were saying, you know, these are nothing but a bunch of sheep stealers. They're stealing my sheep. And I was quiet for a while, and then I <laughs> basically asked the question, Whose sheep are they? You know, they're not my sheep. And they're not your sheep. They're God's sheep. And if God chooses to move his sheep from one part of the pasture to another, because maybe the feed is a little different. Maybe it's something that they need. And and don't get jealous. Pray God's blessings on them so that the things that, that they need in their life might be met by this new fellowship that they are a part of. We, we are all a part of the body of Christ. Some sing songs that are different, some pray differently, but we're still the body of Christ. He has made us his sheep, and we are his. Now, uh, once again, like happened back in Galatia and, and, and in parts of the, the Asian towns, uh, resistance grows up against the gospel it comes out of that jealousy and out of that fearfulness and and not wanting to lose what we thought we had when something even better when the truth of the gospel comes along and and it's sort of like the this this pressure that comes upon someone and and it's the enemy the devil and the world who come and they begin to put pressure on the apostles on the evangelists and it's and it's sort of like when when all of a sudden you've got the toothpaste tube and you start to squeeze and squeeze and it pops out somewhere and that's what happens within the body of Christ when 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 the when the persecutions come and start to fight and press and squeeze against the believers there's always a relief valve somewhere that goes. And and back in, in Acts chapter eight, that was squeezing them out of Jerusalem after the after the murdering, the, the martyrdom of Stephen. And and they, they got spread around up to Samaria and up to the coast, and they went a lot of ways further than just Jerusalem. That 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 persecution squeezed them and it came out somewhere. Well, now here they are in Philippi and that, that, that same pressure is starting to squeeze and it's starting to squeeze and what's gonna happen? Is it gonna squeeze them to death or is something else gonna happen? You know, it always amazes me that, that Satan and his minions don't learn their lesson because when they try to destroy something by persecution, what it does is it spreads it out. And and that's what happens time and time and time again, and not only did it happen there in, in Asia and Galatia, but now here they are in Philippi, and, and this group of people are causing this pressure to come, and it squirts the gospel out, and it goes even further. It maybe quiets it in some ways there in Philippi, and here in today's uh, lesson, we, we see it's gonna maybe change the way it's presented, and how it's gonna be impacting folk here in Thessalonica. But what happens? Paul and Silas, they hit the road. That toothpaste tube is squeezed and they are out. Uh, Timothy, Luke, they stay in Philippi, at least for a time. And and the gospel goes and past those two other towns, and now all of a sudden here they are in Thessalonica, and the presentation goes. And what happens? There are these these a number of Jewish leaders, uh, Jewish folk who who come to faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah. And not only that, but also some of the the close pagans and and the well-respected women. God does His thing. The truth of Jesus, squirting that gospel out into society, um, it it's uncomfortable for society. Now we we know maybe in our time uh, that that wonderful organization, Jews for Jesus. Well, there was back then Jews against Jesus, and and what happens is the accusation is they're turning the world upside down. Oh that that would still be the accusation that comes against believers by the unbelieving, the unfaithful, and the enemies of the gospel, that we are turning the world upside down. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, this world needs to be turned upside down. Do you sometimes feel like that pressure is on you? that that you're getting squeezed and I can imagine for almost all of us during this time of quarantine and social distancing and everything else that's going, there's a lot of pressures that are coming our way. How is God gonna use that to squeeze the gospel out of you to spurt into some new area that you had never imagined, that you had never expected? Well, there it was the good, the bad and the ugly up in Thessalonica. Now, Paul and Silas, they head out further and they're now another 50 miles away, they come to this town of Berea. And if there were the good and the bad and the ugly in Thessalonica, you might want to say that these are the noble searchers there in Berea. Uh, Verses 10 to 15 says this, the brothers that is in Thessalonica immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with ignorant eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that uh, that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds and then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea by Silas and, and, and but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and afterwards received the command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as they departed. Notice the description of these noble believers in Berea. They received the word eagerly, and they examined the scriptures daily. And notice the result that happens after receiving God's word and examining it daily. Many of them, the Jews, therefore believed, and not a few of Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, it certainly appears that Paul continues to be the proclaimer and the lightning rod. Here's what it says in verse 13. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Once again, the pressure's on by the devil and the world. But this time, uh, it's the Berean brethren who send Paul on his way with the good news of Jesus. There's a certain way that the body of Christ seeks to protect those that are gifted, especially in sharing like Paul was and and, and his, God's protection through his people was around them. It was there in, in Philippi, there was in Thessalonica, and here it is now once again in Berea. You know, it sort of reminds me of those last 10 chapters in the book of Genesis where Joseph the patriarch finds himself in a pile of trouble all the time he's rejected by his brothers he's he's sold into slavery down into egypt he's in unjustly imprisoned for years and just like cream that rises to the crop to the top that's what happens in his life he continues to be seen with the gifts that he has and blessing those with those gifts when he sees his brothers years later coming to beg for food What does he say when he reveals himself? He he speaks in such a way to comfort their troubled conscience. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Indeed, his brothers meant it for evil. To get rid of that troublesome Joseph, that dreamer. But God meant it for good for rescue, for restoration, for salvation, for for a time of honoring and keeping in the midst of struggles. God didn't waste difficult times on Paul. He used them to refine the message, to to draw even more people to come and believe. And as he was squeezed out of one area and, and squirted into another area, another part of the body of Christ began to grow The gospel was embraced. People trusted Jesus for life and salvation. And and in the midst of those times, it could lead for him to, to fear and despair, maybe even questioning God's calling in their life. No, the reminder was just like for Joseph. These folks have meant it for evil, but you meant it for good, God, for our good and for your glory. He keeps his heart, his mind, his his soul at peace because God is taking care of him. Uh, Allow God, in the midst of these troublesome times, to use your life to turn someone's world upside down, taking their head out of the sand, taking their heart out of fear. Allow them to be turned around changed off the road that leads to destruction, and placed by God's Spirit on that road that leads to life. Going through difficult times, (laughs) all of us are in these days, in one way or another. Remember, God has not forgotten you. He knows where you are. He hasn't wasted these things on you. He's allowing these things to come your way and my way, so that we might be refined that we might become more and more what he wants us to be. Have no fear, little flock, Jesus says, for the Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Shine with his kingdom. Have no fear, little flock. You are here because God wants to use you for his glory and for your good. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that that is what we would have in our mind, that we would understand your grace and favor for us in these days, knowing that your plan, even though we uh, frequently don't understand it, your plan has nothing but our good designed and reaching and touching lives forever. I would pray, Lord Jesus, for those who are struggling um, with illness or with fear or uh, because of the shutdowns with finances that you would help your church to be strong that you would use it to to be a blessing as the pressures come Lord uh, on our lives. may we squeeze out and touch more lives to your glory, Lord Jesus. we pray your peace and your protection, wisdom for those that uh, have directions on how we can be together once again, hopefully by your grace soon, Lord, that we might strengthen and encourage one another, even as your spirit seeks to encourage us. All these things, Lord, we pray in your name, even as you taught your people to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I now invite you to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God's peace be with you brothers and sisters, amen.
1: This song is Have No Fear, Little Flock, which Pastor Hoff just referred to in his sermon. And as I was learning it, I just thought how much it applied to what's going on today, that we don't need to have fear of this coronavirus. We have the Father who has chosen us. He wants us to have good cheer. He's going to keep you in his love. He will stoop down and heal us, whether he heals us here on earth or whether he heals us in heaven. He is going to take care of us and we can have thankful hearts that we can raise to him.